You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wyatt, Terry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, JT Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Robin Mock, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I'm really excited to have Allison Wisdom on the show with me today. She has an amazing new book. It's called We Can Only Save Ourselves, and this is a must-have for your spring reading uh, going, you know, hopefully this year is going to be different than it was last year. And, uh, you know, great books like this, I think, can help us get there. Uh, Welcome to the show, Allison. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have you. Um, Allison, we begin each show with the same question, and that question is, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? Oh, um, when I was little, I was, I guess there are two things. I read the poems of Shel Silverstein when I was little. And I like had all of his books, like the light in the attic and where the sidewalk ends. And I was so delighted by them. I used to like memorize them and then just copy them down in notebooks. Like I was like, I was the real writer writing them. Um, And then also I was uh, really into uh, all the like mythology. Um, There's that, there's this big orange book and I can't remember. Actually, I just can't pronounce the name. I don't think, but it, got an orange cover and it's D apostrophe something. And it's mythology stories for like, not little kids, but like younger readers. I probably read them when I was way too young, but I was like, (laughs) the fact that stories can be like this, like dark and weird and exciting. And um, I was like, this is, I want to do this. (laughs) (laughs) I want to tell stories like this. You know, um, Speaking of Shel Silverstein, um, what a what a great example of of like a Renaissance man writer. Um, he was he was all over the place, and and even you know now today that you know there were there were great country songs that were written by Shel Silverstein. You uh-huh. know, and like like what an odd juxtaposition. Um, but he he was one of those people that just did exactly what he wanted to do when he wanted and where he wanted and. And, you know, just didn't let, uh, you know, genre define him and and all of that stuff that we get so uptight about these days. Yeah, so cool. My daughter is in kindergarten this year and she brought home and um, they memorize poems every month. And so one month it was sick by Shel Silverstein. And I like surprised her by reciting it along with her. And she was like, what? How do you know that? <laughs> I was like, I read this when I was your age. It was so cool. Yeah. What an awesome, I mean, just so fun. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So from that early love and and knowing that this was something that that you not only wanted to do, but but felt like that that, you know, in a way you you were the writer, even, you know, copying poems and, and, but the, you know, these are, these are exercises we go through in, in kind of finding our writerly selves. Um, did, did that desire wane, uh, at any point, you know, a lot of times going through adolescence and then going through high school and then college and feeling the pressure of, 
you know, becoming a good citizen and, you know, all the stuff that we do, you know, the paying bills and raising family and all that did, did the desire to write that ever, um, you know, feel like it was unattainable or, uh, was this something that you, you know, passionately pursued straight through? Oh gosh, no. I mean, I, I always harbored like that secret dream, but I am a super duper people pleaser, super duper, (laughs) like, you know, overachiever. So, you know, I was always, my schoolwork was always very important. And, um, I was always focused on that. And then when I got to like high school and people be like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I really legitimately wanted to be an archeologist. And then like, I realized that archeology span actually has a lot of science in it. And I was like, right. that's, <laughs> that's actually outside of my wheelhouse as it turns out. And then when I got to college, I still didn't really know what I was going to do with myself. And I just studied the things that I liked and that I was interested in. And that included reading, but I was too much of a scaredy cat to actually try writing creatively. Like I, I am very, no one likes failure, but I'm like very failure at first. And, um, I was like, that just seems way too risky. But, um, after I got married and I was teaching high school English and my husband was in grad school and we were living off of my teaching salary. And I just had a bad year one year. And my husband was like, I know you've always wanted to be a writer. You, you should just do it. Like we, you already paid for, you know, our lives when I was in grad school. Now it's your turn. Like it's your turn to do something for you. And so I was like, okay, it's completely against my nature to take this risk, but I'm going to do it. Like when else in my, in my life is somebody going to say, just try it. And we didn't have kids and, um, I could be more flexible with like private tutoring. And so I did, I just, I was, but I, when I was in my twenties, um, like a full on grown up before I really started actually pursuing it and saying, this is something I'm going to like devote serious time and effort to. You working as a teacher, uh, I think is, is fascinating. Uh, did, were you an English teacher? Yes. I taught high school English. So, you know, a lot of people will look at that career choice and think, uh, well, this is a, this is a fallback, um, you know, career choice, because if I can't make it as a writer, uh, I can always teach or, you know, I can teach while I think about what it is that I really want to do. Um, I, I would like to look at that um, through a different lens or from a from a different perspective. Maybe do you do you feel like your time as a teacher prepared you in any way for the the writing life that you have now? Were, were there um, were there tools that you picked up and, and maybe not maybe not just the mechanics of language that you're teaching people. And, you know, of course, those things become more ingrained as you teach it. But, um, you know, for the creative aspect, were were there any tools that you picked up because you're a teacher that you're happy now that you did that? A little bit of the like, I mean, for one thing, just reading widely. Um, Like I was reading stuff all the time or trying to figure out what I wanted to, you know, what works I wanted to teach my kids and what specific kinds of stories and novels were, um, like most conducive to teaching different, um, yeah, skills and tools and whatnot. But I mean, one thing like being a teacher is prepared me for writing was the, (laughs) like you have control a little bit, but 
it's so dependent on your class and your kids and, you know, what's happening that day and just having to be flexible and with writing, like, especially now that I am a parent and my primary job is taking care of my kids, like I'm just having to roll with the punches and I'm real bad at that. <laughs> and so, but teaching, I mean, if anyone has ever taught, I mean, my daughter's in elementary school now, and I cannot imagine teaching elementary school kids, but also teenagers, when you're teaching teenagers, a lot of it is just like on the, on the fly, like, okay, making adjustments, this didn't work. What can I do now um, to kind of problem solve? And I'm not by nature, like a great problem solver, but teaching like really, really honed that for me. And that's a great skill for a writer to have. Cause it's like literally all problems all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that, um, that your book, we can only save ourselves is your debut novel. Um, but you have published um, a number of short stories uh, before the novel came out. Um, uh, what are your thoughts on the the difference in short story versus novel and the, the format of it? And the, the, you know, is it a is it a completely different art form to you? Do you approach it in a different way from approaching a novel? What, what are your thoughts about writing short versus long? Yeah. So i I never I never wanted to write a novel <laughs> because it seemed so scary. And like, again, you know, risk averse and failure averse, but, um, I, with a short story you do, I did it. I do approach it differently than I have a novel. Like with a novel, I've had to just like, let again, talking about control. Um, I had to relinquish kind of that feeling that I had to be tightly controlling everything. Like I was in a short story like in a short story, I would sit down and be like, okay, you know, I have this in my head. I have this particular story, this particular set of scenes, this particular thing that I like want the reader to take away from it. And when I sit down to write, there is some exploration, but you know, for the most part, I, I have an idea that I'm, that I know I'm wanting to come across with a novel. I had to kind of figure it out as I went. And, um, it's, it was a lot of learning as you go. And, um, not that you need to like, not that a novel isn't tightly controlled, but you have more room in a novel for, um, a bit more exploration and a, a kind of a bit more not floundering exactly, but like, yeah, just exploring, trying to figure out, um, like where you want it to end. There's so much more room. It's a little bit more forgiving in some ways than a short story is, which is so tightly controlled. Um, so, and then of course, you know, a, a novel typically goes through like way more edits than a published short story does. And so you are, you have more of an opportunity to kind of hone it in later drafts and, you know, short stories, when they get published, you go through a couple of rounds of edits, but it's, you know, 15 pages total maybe. And it's just, um, you know, a lot less. <laughs> yeah. Well, from, from the form of writing to, to the genre, um, we, what we were talking about with Shel Silverstein is Shel Silverstein. I can't talk today. Um, we were talking about Shel Silverstein earlier and kind of being uh, not afraid to be pigeonholed in, in one thing or another. Um, how do you feel about the types of stories that you write? And after you know publishing a number of short stories and now the novel, do you do you feel like you you fit in one place or another, or that your 
your um, kind of default storyteller tells a certain type of story? Yeah, I think that um, all my stories are kind of trend darker and there's always a bit more. um, There's some anxiety and melancholy, I think, in in a lot of what I write, but also I hope there's some good humor um, as well. My short stories, I, I will say so far, I have felt some more freedom to like take things weirder. Again, it's a shorter amount of time. And I know certain readers will be more willing to sit with weirdness for uh, 5,000 words than they would for an entire novel. And so, um, but I do think there's like, there are definitely certain themes that I gravitate to. Um, Motherhood for sure, like becoming a mother for me was, I mean, not just life-changing in a practical way, but in my writing life as well, the stories I, I started telling were darker and stranger because becoming a, a parent is a very strange journey, like from and the very dark in a lot of ways, delivery of a child into the world. <laughs> <laughs> and like, you know, you're honestly being confronted with like your own mortality, like literally every second of the day. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but I do think, you know, there are certain I have a feeling as I published more novels and I think with my stories, you can tell like, Oh, I'm not surprised that Allison wrote this story. And I think probably the same will be with the novels, but like, um, I think of like Kazuo Ishiguro and how, um, he writes in so many different, like he can has done like literally every kind of novel, like sci-fi, his like newest novels got a robot in it. And then he wrote remains of the day. And then, you know, uh, it's just like, but there's still, you can tell it's him writing it, even though it's all different, you know, kinds of writing. And, you know, I don't think I have that ability, but I admire it so much. Like, I mean, what a genius. <laughs> Allison, when you sit down to start a new project, when, when the, the slate is completely blank, when, when the word processor is empty, um, do you know from the beginning, before you start typing, whether this is going to be a short story or a novel? Uh, so I guess what I'm asking, do you do you sit down to purposefully write one or the other, or does the story tell you what it's going to be? Um, yes, I have purposely sat down to write. Um, and of course, you know, I've been working on um this novel, we can only save ourselves. And then my second novel, I've been working on those so long that it's been like, you know, a long time since I've gotten to kind of sit down and write a short story. But, um, I did recently get to write a new short story like a few months ago and it just came out in catapult, uh, last week. And I knew from the get go that was going to be a short story and I didn't know exactly how it was going to end or where it was going, but I knew that I wanted to tell it in a confined space and with Alice and we can only save ourselves. I knew that was going to be, it was going to have to be a long, like a long thing to tell the story that I wanted to tell in the way that I wanted to tell it. Um, so I've not really had that experience. Like I I've heard of other writers and other friends of mine, like write a short, sit down to write a short story. Then they're like, dang it. This is a novel, isn't it? <laughs> and that's not the way it's been for me, but I know that it, I know that that happens. Authors, 
I have a fantastic new service to tell you about. It's called PubSite. PubSite is a service to help you build your very own website, your home on the web, where you can promote your work and give your fans a place to connect with you. PubSite is a website platform that allows every author, regardless of budget, to have a great-looking professional website. Developed by the book marketing professionals at FSB Associates, PubSite is the new easy-to-use DIY website builder developed specifically for books and authors. Whether you're an author of one book or 20, or a small publisher, PubSite allows you to build, design, and most importantly, update your website pain-free. No need to be dependent on a designer or webmaster to make a small but costly change to your website. Save the money and do it yourself. PubSite is the best platform for authors because it's a book-centric platform. PubSite was built just for authors and small publishers. Every design, feature, and layout is book-centric. They have customized designs for you to use. It's easy to build. No coding or HTML is necessary to create a stunning, professional-looking website with all the features you want. Get a custom domain name, yourname.com. It's simple to update. You can add all of your books, add a blog and a book tour, sell from any retailer, manage your email list and social media, and even do e-commerce. Build your website with a 14-day free trial, then pay just $19.99 per month, which includes hosting, and we offer packages starting at $499 to set up the website for you. Pub-Site.com, the place to help authors find their home on the web. Dream Author by Sophie Hanna is an immersive 14-month coaching program for writers at any and every level of experience, and also for those of you who want to write and are just waiting for the right encouragement and guidance to get you started. Your writing dreams should make you happy. For so many of us, our dreams are not a source of happiness. Instead, they cause us stress, guilt, frustration, and even shame. Here's the great news. All of these feelings are natural and all writers experience them. The problem, though, is that when your writing dreams bring you more anxiety than joy, it affects your resolve and your productivity, and you end up not taking the action you need to take in order to propel your dreams in the right direction so that they can stand a strong chance of coming true. That's why Sophie created the Dream Author Coaching Program to teach anyone who is passionate about writing how to change the way they build, think about, and pursue their writing dreams in order to become their own most powerful ally and advocate for the rest of their writing life. And more great news. Once you've learned that skill, it lasts forever. Visit dreamauthorcoaching.com to get started today. So Alice Lang, your your protagonist in We Can Only Save Ourselves, um, is such an interesting character because at first you kind of think um, of her as, well, well this is going to be a Mary Sue, you know, if you if you want to mm-hmm. use that kind of uh, term. She's just she's just perfect, you know, and everyone loves her. And and we know that 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 can't stand forever um how did alice come to you what what was your your first interaction with alice i'm, I'm holding up air quotes here yeah um so alice i i wanted her to be both like familiar and exceptional like you know familiar in like the relatable way where you're like i can totally resonate with the feeling of feeling trapped and bored and um all this pressure to be perfect and but I also wanted her to feel exceptional. The fact that like, we're telling a story about her, there has to be something 
about her that is not just the, you know, predictable, familiar, you know, Mary Sue trope, like you mentioned. Um, I, I knew too, that I wanted her to not go bad because my feeling about Alice is that she's always had a darkness inside of her and she just needed the right situation to really, um, kind of illuminate that or bring it about. Um, so what, the first, the literal first interaction I had with her was writing the, the first chapter um, of We Can Only Save Ourselves, with, which begins with um, a, an, an anonymous man. We don't know who it is, but it turns out to be Wesley, who is kind of the cult leader guy. And he's walking down the street of this perfect neighborhood. And I knew that the last person he was going to see was Alice. And I wasn't totally sure like what um, that interaction was going to be like. And it kind of but I knew she was going to be um, intrigued by him and that he was going to immediately see something in her that he felt was attractive to him and or like moldable to him. Um, and then I, I knew from there it was going to have to be a tale of someone's darkness coming out. Uh, and so she had to start somewhere. She had to be kind of, you know, a golden girl with the capacity for some really bad <laughs> choices. <laughs> when did the character of Wesley come to you? And, and had you been thinking about this idea of, of, you know, a, a, a cult and, and cult leaders and, and how, you know, a, a, a normal person like Alice could be so uh, persuaded and dissuaded to, to, to change everything about her because of this charismatic person. Like, like what, what started that line of thinking? Well, I have always, I've always found cults like extremely fascinating. And so I, if a novel has a cult in it, I am like, you know, absolutely going to pick it up. And that's kind of what I was banking on when I was writing this novel. Like I was like, I know there's a lot of cult novels out there, but I think there's a lot of weirdos out there like me who are going to be like, Ooh, another cult. Yes, please. Um, so I had been reading about different cults and different cult leaders. And I was kind of uh, toying with the idea of writing a novel about a cult or about several cults. And um, so I got to the Manson family, which, you know, just from being a human in the world, I knew a fair amount about. Um, but um, I kind of, you know, he has some similarities to Wesley and um, I wanted Wesley to be scary, but also like he couldn't be too scary because it had to be, you know, it had Alice, someone like Alice and these other girls had to find him um, appealing and attractive enough to follow him. Um, and uh, I knew I wanted him to be an artist and I wanted him to be a bad artist. Um, but like someone who takes himself very, very seriously. And, you know, it's, I think that is part of his appeal that as a reader, you can kind of both laugh at him. Like, I hope that as you read it, you're like, I kind of am getting the sense that he's actually a pretty bad artist. Like when Alice first gets to the bungalow and she sees like his paintings and his photographs and she's like, huh. And then she tells herself, well, they must be good. Um, I hope that the reader can kind of be like laugh a little bit about that, but you know, that also makes him scary. <laughs> like a guy who's maybe not that good at what he does, but who takes it very, very seriously. Like that guy can really just, you know, 
oh, snap. Yeah. Um, and so I, I hope that that would kind of make him a more enjoyable and complex character. Um, but yeah, I knew those were the kind of things going into Wesley that I knew I wanted him to be um, scary and also like he's shallow. He's very shallow, but he thinks he's very profound. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yes, of course. I mean, everyone, I mean, whether it's, you know, a, a violent killer, which, you know, hopefully we don't know, but like everyone knows a guy like that, at least a little bit, you know, who's like thinks he's, you know, a philosopher and it's like, hi, ah, you're just a guy. <laughs> <laughs> so Allison, are, do you consider yourself um, a, a pantser or a plotter? Um, you know, a little bit of both, honestly, like I have never, I've never been someone who does well with outlines, like very formal outlines. Like I remember in like school when you're learning how to write an essay and they're like, you need to go through and outline it. And I was always like, no, I, I hate that. (laughs) I can figure it out as I go. And, um, I've always been able to do that with a short story. And then with a novel, I realized I could not do that. (laughs) And so, but again, I reject the traditional outline for myself personally. And, um, and then I, I had kids and I'm a stay at home mom. I don't work outside of the house. Um, like a, a, you know, a a regular job. I'm not teaching anymore. And, um, so I'm always with them and they are like personally offended if I open my computer, um, even to just like send an email, but they're like fine with the phone. So if I, I can keep notes, I keep notes of scenes on my phone and that's about as far as I go for plotting. Like I'll be like, okay, I know I want to include this event. I know I want to include a scene at a party or a scene, um, you know, at a school or whatever. And I'll kind of keep notes of that on my phone. And so then I'll sit down to write on my computer when my kids are not around and won't be offended. And um, then I, I'm, I write that scene and I wrote, we can only save ourselves like all out of order, which was like <laughs> so painful. And I had like, you know, my whole table and floor was like covered in chapters or like scenes basically where I was like, okay, now I have to figure out where this scene goes. And it was a mess. And I did not write my second novel like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, honestly, it's kind of a little bit of both. I'll plot it out as far as scenes, but then when I get into the scene, I am just kind of writing by the seat of my pants. I, I, I had a guest on the show one time that called that, uh, called themselves a plotzer. Um, oh, yeah. where, you know, like, like there's a, there are uh, the ideas of scenes, uh, lots of them out there, but, you know, leaving themselves free enough to explore the character and 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 kind of how these all tie together. And so it's not sitting down and just writing just into the dark, just blindly. Um, it, it, it is kind of having um, this loose idea of where the story is going, but but allowing yourself the freedom and the fun of of kind of finding your way to those points. Yes, exactly. That's exactly yeah. it. I love that. Um, the, uh, how did you decide what, uh, what perspective to write from? Uh, you know, this is, this is obviously a very um, a personal story for Alice, um, but the, the viewpoint is, is interesting. 
Yeah. So I honestly just kind of lucked into it. <laughs> like I had, I started it, like I said, with the um, vision of a, of a guy, Wesley walking down the street. And when I sat down to capture that scene, it just came out in that um, first person plural voice. And I was like, well, I don't know about this, but I'm just going to write a few pages and see how I feel. So I wrote a few pages, like that whole first chapter, which is, you know, really short. And I was like, okay, I, I feel excited about this. I don't know exactly what I'm doing yet, but I'm going to keep going with it. And so I did, I, I um, just wrote and wrote from that first person plural voice. And then I was like, okay, something is not working. I know that this just felt um, like instinctual, but now I need to kind of interrogate that feeling and see why that felt like a good instinct. Um, and it took me, I mean, honestly, like an embarrassing amount of time, like probably a hundred pages before I realized specifically who the people were that were talking, um, I'm telling this story that it wasn't just like the neighborhood in general, but it was specifically the mothers in the neighborhood. And that opened everything up for me. And like, not that things were a breeze after that, but just finding like, you know, it sounds so like how would you not know that's who's telling your story? I don't know. I just did it. <laughs> I didn't know how to write a novel. <laughs> uh, so, you know, figuring that out was a happy accident and um, changed the whole, the whole book for me. That it let me make it a story more than just about Alice, but also about, um, you know, suburbia and motherhood and um, kind of relinquishing dreams certain dreams and adventure for trading it in for safety and security and um, letting those two groups, Alice and the girls and Wesley and the mothers, like honestly serve as both a foil and a mirror for each other. And so figuring that out was so crucial and just, you know, it made it, you know, who would have thought figuring out who your narrator was would be such a helpful <laughs> thing for a book. <laughs> Well, some people have very strong opinions about viewpoint. And, you know, if you're going to do first person, this needs to be, uh, you know, obviously a very narrow view and, and, and you know, no head hopping allowed and all of that. Did, did you get any pushback or, or any feedback, you know, as you submitted the book and and then, you know, went into editing and all of that about your choice of viewpoint and perspective? Um, No, not really. Like with this book. I didn't send it out to very many agents when I was querying um, because I didn't know if it was good and I didn't want to like waste a query with something that was not good. And so I had actually been sending out a story collection instead. And I, I'd hoped that I could maybe convince an agent to like, you know, fall in love with my story collection and then take a risk with me on the novel, it may be a novel that's not very good, but has potential. And they like me as a writer. And, um, so when I sent it to the person who would become my agent, she was like, I, you know, I, I love this, this point of view and it's like so unique and it's, um, exciting. And I was like, Oh, great. <laughs> so, and then as far as like, when we were sent it out on submission, I, my agent was like, do you want me to tell you everything the editors say when they pass? And I was like, no, 
So honestly, there could have been like, you know, every other editor was like, absolutely not to this voice. And just my editor who did acquire it, liked it. I'll never know. And so, um, but I think who cares at this point, right? Oh yeah, totally. I mean, and you know, I appreciated my agent being like, I'll tell you as much as you need. And I was like, I don't want to know anything. So, um, so yeah, but I, I think it's been, I mean, so far, no one's told me that they, that they really don't like it, but they probably wouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, you know, the book is, is definitely, um, Alice's story, but it's, it's also the story of, of this community and, and how this affects not only her, but you know, everyone involved were, were there, um, things that you discovered about Alice or Alice's journey or, or how the people in the community responded, um, that surprised you? Hmm. I mean, I think it was one thing that surprised me was, um, being able to like tell so many different perspectives with the, with the mothers in the neighborhood, like getting to be in their heads and letting them each have their own, like kind of desires and regrets. Um, and uh, that was kind of a surprise for me because it was not something I had really planned. And, um, by the end, I felt so like such a great affection (laughs) for for the mothers, even though like, you know, in many ways they're like, they're meddlesome and they are a little bit judgy. And, but I also like, well, they're human and I feel very tenderly toward them. And I had felt surprised by that evolution kind of. Well, as a mother yourself, could you, could you empathize with them and their reactions? Like, like, you know, on paper, uh, I would not respond in this way, but as a mother, I, you know, because I, I find that about myself, you know, as a parent, um, you know, I will go against my personal convictions, you know, for the safety of my child, you know, that's a, uh, it, in, and then you sit back and think, oh, like, wow, I, I, I didn't know that was in me. <laughs> you know, it was, was it one of those kind of things? Yeah, totally. I mean, like growing up, I grew up in a suburb of Houston and I live in Houston now, like Houston proper and this inside the city limits. And, um, you know, I was itching to get out of the suburbs and, um, always was like a little bit like, uh, the suburbs, but then, you know, I had my own children. I'm like, I get the appeal. (laughs) Like, you know, you've got, um, schools that are, well-funded and everyone's involved and you've got like the beautiful house and you've got a swimming pool. And like where I grew up in Friendswood, it's like people even have like horses and it's just kind of this like beautiful idyllic thing. And I see how you get roped into it and, um, or how you, you know, not that living in the suburbs is a bad thing you need to get roped into, but like, I see the appeal of it, of course, more as a parent than I did as, um, you know, a teenager living at home and, um, or even as someone like pre kids and yeah, definitely. I think that becoming a parent expands your levels of empathy and like you, cause you're constantly having to play out scenes in your head, right. As a parent, like if my kid does this, I'm going to say this, if they do that, I'm going to do this. And you're, you're having to explore so many different you know, scenarios that I think it just 
opens up your your mind and your heart in um, a new way that maybe you haven't had before. Well, the new book is called We Can Only Save Ourselves, and it is available everywhere now uh, in Kindle edition or hardcover or audiobook. Uh, however you like to read books and, and consume content, you can grab it right now. We're going to put links to it in the show notes of this episode. Um, Allison, if people are just learning about you and want to dig into all the great stuff that you do, where can they find you online? Um, you can find me on my website, which is just allisonwisdom.com. It has links to all of my um, past published stories, as well as things I've written in promotion of We Can Only Save Ourselves. You can come find me on Twitter at Allison L. Wisdom. And on Instagram, I actually have two Instagrams. One, um, if you want to see like me and like my kids and like, you know, daily life, that's at Allison Wisdom. Um, if you want to kind of get, if you've read, we can only save ourselves and you want to see like how I imagine the characters or you want to find the recipes that Mrs. Lang bakes, you can find them online at, um, on Instagram at we can only save ourselves. Excellent. We're going to send everyone to see you and to pick up their copy of we can only save ourselves. Uh, Allison, this has been so much fun chatting. Thank you so much for taking time to come on the show today. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. Authors, if you're looking for a partner to help ensure that your book is the best it can possibly be, look no farther than Pico's House. Crystal and her staff make a conscious effort to be critical yet courteous. They also strive to make the business side of things run smoothly so that you can rest easy knowing that your manuscript is in capable hands. Whether you need beta reading, developmental editing, a manuscript critique, line editing, copy editing, or proofreading, Pico's House is the one-stop shop for you. Check them out today at picoshouse.com to get started. The Bad Company Complete Series Omnibus, books one through seven. Humanity's greatest export, justice. Space is a dangerous place, even for the wary, especially for the unprepared. The aliens have no idea. Here comes the Bad Company. The Bad Company Book 1, Colonel Terry Henry Walton, takes his warriors into battle for a price in this first installment of The Bad Company. He believes in the moral high ground and is happy to get paid for his role in securing it. Set in the Cutharian Gambit universe, Terry, Char, and their people-humans, werewolves, were-tigers, and vampires form the core of The Bad Company's direct action branch, a private conflict solution enterprise. Join them as they fight their way across Tissakinan 4, where none of the warring parties were what they expected. The seven-book series Omnibus includes The Bad Company, Blockade, Price of Freedom, Liberation, Destroyer, Discovery, Overwhelming Force. Grab the complete Bad Company series by Craig Martell now. How to Be a Badass Witch by Michael Anderley. Virtutus Gloria Mercies. Translation, glory is the reward of valor. Fed up with playing the normal game, recent university graduate, ex-cum laude, ex-soccer star, ex-popular and mostly broke Cara Madonna changes her life when she decides to research how to be a witch and believes it. Cara didn't want to go back east and deal with her overbearing mom. So when university was done, she stayed behind in Los Angeles. Little did she realize how controlling moms can be from the other side of the country. 
Feeling a little desperate to make her own way, she buys a few books on business and one on a lark, How to Be a Badass Witch. That's when the trouble started. Find out just what trouble a young woman can get into when the magic just might be real. How to Be a Badass Witch by Michael Andrews.